0: Welcome to episode 129. In this episode of Garden DC, the podcast about mid-Atlantic gardening, we talk with Kat Kahn of Harvest Share, all about harvest collections for the hungry. The plant profile is on paper whites, and we share what's going on in the garden as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with Marianne Wilburn, who shares the last word on winter gardening. This episode, we're joined by Kat Kahn. She is Executive Director of Harvest Share and a lifelong gardener. Welcome, Kat. Hi, Kathy. Um, Nice to be here
1: on this uh, cool, rainy evening here. I am a lifelong resident of Montgomery County, but I am not really a lifelong gardener. Oh. Um, I actually used to call myself the brown thumb, you know, couldn't keep a houseplant alive. Um, But I found that uh, after I um, was married and started with uh, children, having children, um, that I needed, I wanted something to do that was close to home. So I spent um, a lot more time out in the yard because with somebody napping, I could run out there for a little while or get them to help me Um, by the second child, you know, um, I had expanded a little bit more, doing a little more uh in my backyard, putting in a lot of trees, and by the third child, well, I don't know for a while, I just didn't have time <laughs> but um now uh I'm an avid container gardener primarily um I started with an interest in uh native plants and perennials that would attract. Butterflies and bees and uh, hummingbirds to my backyard. And now I do um, that plus uh, my vegetable garden in containers on a second story deck. And I spent so much time putting trees in my yard that I now um, don't have the sun to put it in the ground. So my deck gets lots and lots of sun in the summer and the very steep staircase tends to keep out at least the deer. So I live in an area that with, you know, pretty heavy uh, deer um, presence and uh, raccoons and squirrels and chipmunks and woodchucks, which um, have actually all found their way up onto my deck, But, but the deer haven't climbed the stairs yet. So I find it's a, it's a great place, lots of sun, fewer critters, and all I have to do um, to get veggies and herbs for dinner is basically walk out my kitchen door. So uh, that makes it even better. I'm not spending uh, much time driving to a garden. So I feel very fortunate to have that, (laughs) have that big deck.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And container gardening, so convenient, so easy and, uh, we should probably define for listeners you had mentioned montgomery county maryland um and that is in the mid-atlantic us um kind of halfway between the north and the south and we can talk a little bit about our climate here for our listeners um so we have very hot summers fairly cold summers but not so cold we're i think zone a or b which are you oh
1: a Mm -hmm. a but Um, I don't know if you look at this fall until last week, we were, you know, we had temperatures in the seventies. I don't know. Maybe we're moving to a B.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very well could be. Yes. And so you, uh, are also a master gardener and when did you, uh, undertake doing that? Um,
1: that was probably, I think that was 12 years ago. Um, the Montgomery County Master Gardeners Program is um, a a county-led initiative through the University of Maryland extension. Um, Being a master gardener does not mean you are the master of all gardening. It means you have taken or shown interest in gardening of some sort, have taken a 40-hour class, passed the test, and completed a one year internship um working out in the community to help fulfill the master gardener's mission which is uh greatly par- paraphrased um to educate the public about good gardening practices um so that that's what it takes huh.
0: And I'm so glad you defined that, cat because there's so much misinformation out there in the general public about what a master gardener is. It's not the equivalent of a master plumber or master carpenter who does years of apprenticeships and learns everything in their trade. Um, it's basically a volunteer organization that gives you training on how to answer the public's gardening questions.
1: Right. It's, it's actually a great Uh, a great program if you want to learn to be a better gardener because there are gardeners in there that uh, are very, very knowledgeable. Um, Some may specialize, might be great vegetable gardeners, um, others might be interested in, you know, pollinators, but um, we learn from each other through service and get to connect with the the community. And I, I really, really enjoy the teaching but I also really really enjoy the learning that goes along with that and um I am um, I don't want to say tenfold better uh, more knowledgeable gardener since I uh since I started um 12 years ago um uh, because I've I've had some great opportunities um to learn so it, it's a program that I highly suggest if you are uh if you are in the US many st- state universities have their own uh, master gardener program so that's something you people can look into if they're if they're interested
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and each of those is unique the the state decides or the state extension service decides how to administer them and how many hours of education or continuing education or volunteer hours are required every year to maintain your master gardener status
1: Mm -hmm. in Montgomery County it's um 25 uh volunteer hours and i believe um 10 continuing education hours um things have changed a little bit or did change during covid because it was hard for people to get their volunteer hours um but i think that's what we're we're
0: back to hmm. well i can give our ourselves a little uh shout out in that garden dc the podcast has been certified by many Master Gardener programs as fulfilling that education requirement. Um, So most of our episodes are an hour long. And so if you were to look at some of the past episodes and listen to them and talk to your local extension program, a lot of them have applied those, especially during COVID when you weren't able to go to a class or didn't have Zoom access that you were able to listen to the podcast and use that for your training credits.
1: Uh, right and it, it's interesting because I think because of covid there's so much more available via you know webinars whether they be um you know live or recorded a uh, great way to get um you know information as well as as heading out to the to the garden so um yeah mm-hmm. i beefed up a little bit drink COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: gave us that was a good pause for that. Oh, so let's turn to Harvest Share and talk about its mission and how that started.
1: Um, well, it, it's interesting. Um, this is Harvest Share is not a master gardener program, but it actually started at the beginning of COVID when a program that I was going to do for master gardeners called Growing Gardeners, which goes out into the community and finds a group, uh, a population that perhaps is facing food insecurity and gives them the materials and some basic education on how to grow, um, you know, like a tomato or a pepper in a container, pickle bucket or, you know, fabric grow bag. But the program was, was canceled. And we had already had one of the local High schools um, start seedlings for us, and the and the uh, the horticulture teacher said, "Well, these seedlings are doing okay. You know, I can kind of sneak into the greenhouse for another, you know, month and water them um, until they till they found her out, <laughs> and she took the seedlings home with her. And I'm like, well, what can we do with these seedlings? We don't have a program, so I thought, like many people, at the beginning of COVID." you just wanted to do something. There were people, um, you know, whole industries that were shut down. People, unemployment, um, you know, was, had a huge spike. And I thought, we've got to do something. So I thought, well, well, maybe we can share these seedlings with people. They could take them, grow a little extra in their gardens, and donate food back to the food assistance providers. Um, At that time, also, uh, you know there were a handful of food assistance providers in the county um but huge, huge needs so that that's really how it started because of a cancelled master gardener program and the fact that um I didn't want to let these um seedlings uh go to the compost pile <laughs> so um mm-hmm. that was our start, so our goal was you know to see maybe we can get people to grow you know, a thousand pounds. And really after our first season, um, this is not all backyard grown, but we did 9,000 pounds. And, um, three seasons later, we're now, we're now into the tons. (laughs) So not bad. 19 (laughs) tons, I calculated this afternoon, and that's not bad for a 100% volunteer, you know, organization. Um, the other thing that Harvey Shore did is it really gave so many people an opportunity to do something. There was this feeling like, what can I do? You know, so we had people that donated seedlings the next year. Um, we, you know, found seeds, gave them the seeds. They donated the seedlings. Schools donated the seedlings. Um we had people uh collecting and um produce you know from their backyard growing a little extra uh the community gardens in Montgomery County the Montgomery Parks program had for several years really tried to um reduce food spoilage or waste that was left in the gardens um unharvested so we teamed up with Montgomery Parks Um, to better coordinate that effort. Um, That was another source of our donations. Uh, We did find one farmer's market. I'll give them a big shout out. Bethesda Central Market um, with uh, farmers that were donating to a um, food assistance provider that was created by a high schooler who felt the same way. I need to do something. There are people, I have friends at school that don't have um they don't have have lunch they don't they don't um have food because they were taking classes virtually so they weren't getting free meals at school um so it really gave people an opportunity to say hey i can help um something that was really really rewarding and not at all uh really expected um going into things
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so wonderful. And I remember in our magazine, Washington Gardener, that we interviewed you in the June 2020 issue way back when, which I guess was just, you know, a few months after you started. (laughs) And that was all about local gardeners sharing their surplus harvest. And we did touch on in that article, what you'd referred to as well with the Montgomery County Community Gardens Program, um, changing a rule that you can go into others plots because that before that it was completely verboten but on the gleaning days uh, if something wasn't harvested and it was in somebody's plot like a big tomato just hanging there and they did not opt out so it's an opt-out system so if they didn't opt out of the gleaning day then you were permitted to go into their plot and harvest and add that to the surplus harvest on specific harvesting days.
1: Right. That was something that they actually wrote into sort of the agreement um, when, you know, that plot was sort of leased, you know, to you. Um, It has changed back and forth um, a little bit. And each of the community gardens kind of do things differently differently. Um, because it's, we don't want it to to sound like it's, you know, a hostile takeover of your, your, you know, fruits and vegetables. But what was really hard to see was people, especially by, um, you know, by August, those people that had kind of abandoned their plots, um, having food just laying on the ground. First of mm-hmm. all, it was bad for the garden, Um, you know could attract um, pests and especially rodents Um, but also here was great fresh produce that was just going to waste Um, Mm -hmm. and the the parks program director Michelle Nelson really um, said that had that had to change.
0: Agreed yeah it was so frustrating um, to see you know, the hottest part of the summer, people leave for August or on a long vacation. The last thing they're thinking about is cleaning out their plot before they run off to the beach or whatever. (laughs) Or as you say, some people just have given up, you know, at that point, they're like, "Uh, I'm not going to go back to the plot. And then those gardeners of us who are still there are looking across the plot lines at, you know, full tomato vines eggplants, squash all coming into you know ripeness at the same time and just going to waste and it is so hard for me especially to see food waste um, in an urban area when I know down the road that that could be um, given to our local food kitchen shepherd's table or somewhere else uh, to feed the hungry um,
1: right and and some of the gardens have actually um, taken that a step further and if they've they find a plot that truly has been abandoned, you know, can't even get in contact with the owner, um or sometimes someone has moved, you know, has moved, um have taken over the plot and planted um and made that a grow to donate plot, which is really um a wonderful a wonderful thing. Um they in addition to harvesting from their own plots, um they get seedlings. We often give them uh, seedlings to plant in that um, grow-to-donate plot. So um, there are some really uh, very dedicated gardeners who care about their com- their community. Um, what, what we've seen, too, at uh, w- one of the uh, community gardens, um, they actually, the food assistance provider where they they take their food They do weekend, uh, weekly, weekend harvests and donations. Um, They've actually volunteered at the food assistance provider. And people know when it comes from, you know, Rocking Horse Community Garden, this is super fresh produce that was harvested and is then redistributed within about a four-hour period of time. So it doesn't get very much fresher than um, that. So making those, you know, those community connections. I mean it's truly a neighbor, you know, neighbor helping neighbor um initiative. And um I don't know about you, but I'm always looking to, to see the the positive in the world and uh and that's something that um warms my heart, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's so Terrific to see that connection and to know that it's going to somebody who can really use it. And so we talked about the community gardeners who might harvest from their own plots or a shared plot or an abandoned plot. Um, But how about other gardeners, like perhaps at a church or house of worship? Do you work with any of those?
1: Uh, We really don't work much with those gardens. The ones that do have gardens usually have themselves, usually have their own um, distribution. Like I know there's been some interest because a lot of the churches do actually have something that's very coveted in our County and that is land. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And, but what we have found is that we can, um, get produce from backyard gardeners. So we have set up um the summer the number of collection sites we had was down a little bit. Um, we think it's really because people were wanted to get out of their own homes and travel. But we had um 10 to 12 different collection sites where backyard gardeners could could drop off their produce and that would go to um a nearby food assistance provider that could um again, uh, distribute it um, fairly quickly. Because what we didn't want to do is take the super fresh produce, donate it to a place um, where maybe it would sit for a few days or perhaps they didn't have, you know, refrigeration. Uh, A lot of the places during uh, COVID that started as food assistance providers just out of need had no um, way to store fresh produce. But if we could get it to them and have them redistribute it within a few hours, it didn't matter. So our goal was sort of 24 hours. So that was another um, source of, um, you know, donations. Um, We did have a Master Gardener um, program at one of our local recreation centers. They, uh, in non-COVID times, worked with youth during a summer program where the kids would get to plant and harvest and take the food home. And this was really in a high need community. So during COVID, they actually just use that garden um, to grow, to donate. Um, and they continue to give the produce to, to the kids, but the kids aren't there um, after the middle of August. So then the rest of that produce goes to a food assistance provider about a half a mile away.
0: Mm. And that's such a great point you made about the storage capability and or storage options and and getting that out when it's fresh. Um, So I have worked with food banks in the past who have actually said no to fresh produce. And, you know, that's always disappointing. And you think, well, these people would want fresh produce. But then the logistics Uh, can be troublesome, like you said, for storage, or you don't want something to sit for three or four days, like lettuce, and then it's not edible at that point when it gets picked up.
1: Well, the one thing that um, that we kind of say with pride is that, you know, we can harvest and we can collect and redistribute, but we do not process. So you can have turnips and carrots that might have a little extra dirt on them <laughs> or maybe those, you know, those collard greens and cabbage. They, you know, that you could give them a good washing. Um this is super super fresh, but I've never had anybody say, "Oh, do we have to cut, you know, do we have to cut all this dried stuff off our fresh garlic bulbs?" You know, it's as is. It shows that it is um super fresh and you know, um, I guess local too, is a, you know, you're not going to be able to store loose greens for very long um, and keep them fresh. So they go out, you know, they go out right away. Hmm. Um,
0: and do you um, work with some of the local uh, soup kitchens or chefs and do they have special requests? I was wondering if, if somebody were to plan, plant something extra for the hungry, that there might be something specific that they're looking for.
1: Um, that's a very good point because we, now that we've sort of finished the, um, you know, the warm season harvest, and not as many gardeners are cool season um, vegetable gardeners. You know, they are the greens, uh, the lettuce, the collards, things that need to be covered, and, um, uh, they are hard to harvest and donate. So we do have kind of a lull, um, you know, from really December through uh, through March. Um, and this year we said, hey, let's go one step further. Let's take some of the food assistance providers that we've partnered with for three years and ask them, what can't they get? Um, you know, the Montgomery County Food Council and um, I don't know if it's Capillary or Food Bank, you know, they have done surveys to say, what do people want? But what no one has done is said, well, not only what do people want, but what can we actually grow here? <laughs> because mm-hmm. when you're talking about small scale food production, we're probably not going to, you know, take up a garden plot to plant potatoes you know uh what can't you get so so again we really um places love when we bring herbs or a you know huge variety of peppers that we've donated from hot to you know sweet to mild to the tiniest little ahi cherapita to you know some some mammoth uh you know ancho or anaheim um and I wish I um I can remember the gist of it, but I wish I had it in front of me and speaking to one of the um, local food assistance providers um, that is run out of a church, but it's actually a county program now, you know I said, do does what we do make a difference? you know and she said, Well, what you bring us helps take what we have here um, at the pantry and create a meal, create something that that someone wants to eat because you can give them dried beans and you can give them, you know, dried rice and canned this, but you throw in herbs and peppers and fresh tomato, um, or, you know, okra and eggplant, you have a meal, like a meal with some dignity. <laughs> she, she jokingly, um, this was the food manager jokingly, you know, told me, she said, I have people say, please, please no, no more canned vegetables. So, um, we do also look if we have if we harvest things that may be more desirable to a specific culture and the closest food assistance provider really doesn't um doesn't have that demographic we'll find a place um that does um and when so when you talk about like the soup kitchens really shepherd's tables um, probably the only soup kitchen that we actually donate to and they love the herbs but I will tell you that like one year we we had lots and lots of herbs at the end of the season actually this is from your garden Kathy and 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 took them up to a low-income senior apartment complex I'd made a contact up there who would take them and um, you know spread them out on a table in the in the great room and oh my goodness people were so appreciative um for something that you know you think oh i was just gonna toss this in the compost pile Mm -hmm. so it's those little things that make the meal um Mm -hmm. so
0: i I love hearing that that the herbs are so appreciative and that peppers and i think peppers are so easy to grow for us here and so prolific
1: i love growing peppers. I, uh, and i'm the only hot pepper eater in my house <laughs> there you know what you can even a novice gardener can feel really really successful with uh you know with a pepper plant and a five gallon pickle bucket so (laughs) inexpensive you'll feel like you know oh look what I did uh they're beautiful you know you've got the great colors and um and the thing is I when I when I think back to when I started this you think about oh the numbers you know we said we've done 19 tons of food but when you figure how much that is really small scale is herbs and peppers and you know, the squash weigh a little more, but this is a lot of food. This is not, you know, a one pound can of beans or you know, or a two pound bag of you know, this. This mm-hmm. is uh it takes a lot of jalapenos to to hit a pound. Oh yeah. <laughs> in, but it's a lot of that could affect that can uh that could help a lot of people with a meal. You know, if you need one jalapeno, you know, to to go with those rice and beans, but it may transform a meal. Um, so I do really like your idea of, of asking. And I thought we finally had a place that I think um, we can ask and start doing some small scale survey. You know, we're not going to be able to grow everything. Um, you know, we have lots of calls for cilantro, but <laughs> cilantro and uh, does is, tough as i don't have to tell you Mm -hmm. it's hard you have to be a little more advanced gardener you have to trick mother nature and the plant
0: um, yes
1: to get cilantro to grow successfully for more than about what six weeks (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i would say that uh you know going back to the peppers that because they're fairly pest free the deer don't eat them squirrels don't eat them you know that's that's probably when we can jump on uh, and say not just for beginners but you know plant a few extra pepper plants and maybe some different varieties like you said that would appeal to different cultures so say if there's a pepper in for a certain cuisine um you know like i'll grow the thai orange but i'll also grow some brazilian peppers every year Mm -hmm. and um so you were saying uh what people were specifically looking for i had talked to one of the chefs at at Shepherd's Table, and he surprised me by saying onions. <laughs> I was very surprised because I thought, you know, for donations, people might drop off a sack of onions every once in a while.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and onions is one of the things that came up on the you know most most desired food list across multiple cultures. Um, you know, the onions, the potatoes, the whatever, but still not something that on a large scale. You would even think about, I mean, on a small scale, you would think about growing. Uh, at least, mm-hmm. at least I wouldn't. But yeah, and that's and and I uh, that's really interesting. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So I was thinking, um, as you said, if there is a plot you can set aside or a row you can set aside, that maybe we'll start thinking more in that direction of you know things that can keep also because mm-hmm. onions store fairly well, and also the peppers we just talked about. Um, can dry and store fairly well Um, but then other things like the cilantro you noted has a very short season here of of being successful in the mid-atlantic and has to be consumed pretty much fresh I don't even think freezing it would capture it
1: but you know um, what you just said Kathy you you talked to the chef that um, during COVID things were different I mean it it really was a coordinate a coordinated effort to have you know neighborhoods collect produce and then deliver it to a food assistance provider but it generally had to be at a very specific time on a specific day because you know the the first year of the pandemic especially um they didn't want everybody in and out you know <laughs> of their of their uh, kitchens or their storage mm-hmm. area but now go ask, you know, if you're a gardener and you've got a little extra space, go to the soup kitchen or, you know, go to a food assistance provider and say, hey, I've got a little extra space. Could you use some peppers? You know, I will say that many of the many food assistance providers will say just no fresh tomatoes <laughs> 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 because by the time they get out, um, you know they they could be mush, um, and that's another thing that that we you know we we really try to do with Harvest Share is that um, not only have that window where we're going to harvest and it'll go out um, you know right away, um, but also um, you know find out uh, what they want and also if they have what they referred to as a choice pantry model of distribution. Um, of course, again, during COVID, everybody got, you know, a box, a bag put in their trunk. There was, uh, understandably, that there was no other alternative. But a choice pantry allows the food recipient to actually shop for the food they want to take home. And we try to prioritize um, those, those places with, that utilize that model because we think there's even less um, waste. So you either like okra or you don't, (laughs) you can't eat it at all. And maybe the same thing with eggplant. So if somebody were to put a couple pounds of eggplant, you know, in the box for you to take home to your family and you can't stand it, what are you going to do with it? Throw it away. Mm -hmm. We know that there's a person out there that, if they saw it on a table and they were allowed to select it themselves, who would probably say, Oh my goodness, fresh eggplant, uh, you know, give me three of those. <laughs> or so it, you know, by, by utilizing um, that we're really making the food go even further, that kind of model. So we, t- we try to prioritize um, those operations that use that, you know, that model.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that is definitely a great point. And, as you said, cuts down on food waste when you get to pick what you'll actually be consuming yourself. Um, So let's talk about some of the other area programs. So we talked about Montgomery County and Harvest Share that you're doing, worked with, and I was thinking in the DC area, I'm also familiar with the um, Arlington Food, I wanna say Assistance Center, AFAC, maybe I'm saying their name incorrectly.
1: Friends of Urban Agriculture, Arlington Friends of Urban Agriculture, mm-hmm. um, which is a fantastic um, program in the city of Arlington, Virginia. Um, and the reason I think it's, it's such a model program is that they there are two universities, um, a Virginia extension, um, the public schools, food assistance providers, Library are all working together, so the, uh, they actually have now a donation center where people come um, and help bag and sort of process what they um, what was grown. But even the schools were in on you know growing food for donation or at least allowing that property to be to be used that way. Um, the two extensions were supporting. Um, the gardeners. The library was hosting the extensions and the university's educational talks to, um, you know, to actually grow more gardeners, right, out there. So it was. A, it's a great um, program that really uh, pulls. I don't know. They pulled it. Really pulled it together to use utilize all the resources that they, they, um, you know, they have. Mm-hmm. But, quite have that coordinated of an effort uh, in our county although we're, we're much um, bigger cover a much bigger area and certainly a much greater population
0: mm-hmm. um, you know, in our county. And one thing that occurred to me Kat is for those listeners out there who might not be able to grow edibles or might not have extra space that all of these nonprofits accept uh, monetary donations, so you could support <laughs> them in that in that way. Um, so they're always, I'm sure, grateful for that as well.
1: Um, yes, and uh, DC, you know, uh, hosts um, you know multiple uh, food assistance providers um, and sort of wraparound services, you know, programs. I know they have a. Uh, Capital Area Food Bank, which is in DC, that supports many of the programs in Montgomery County, um, actually just opened a new—I um, think—believe uh, Marriott-funded uh, um, outdoor kitchen and and garden, so they can grow some of their own, but they could also um, cook for residents and teach residents to cook. So, um, you know, great great wraparound
0: wraparound program mm-hmm. yeah i've been to at udc the university of, district of columbia has a wonderful teaching kitchen um, where they teach nutrition and food preparation and and source from their own gardens there as well so that's always great to close that circle of um, you get handed something as you said in a food box like okra or eggplant and you say now what do i do with this
1: um, yeah we've we've um, we've ended up with some interesting um donations um here that we found that we actually needed to uh hand out recipes <laughs> with so um there was a actually a facility um that not really a a farm but a piece of property uh in Montgomery uh county a park's property that um was using daikon radish as a cover crop. So and for those who don't know, it's a large uh, radish that actually will fix nitrogen in the soil. Also just by sheer size uh, can help break up the soil. Um, but in many Asian cultures it's used as um, as a foodstuff. If you think of like turn Asian turnip cakes or you can you can pickle it like a radish it looks closer to I don't know. It looks closer to a turnip to me. Um mm-hmm. But we found, well, we had so much of it. We thought, well, unless we get this to the right population, we better put some recipes together so people know what to do with it. Um, the same thing with pumpkin. We had some cooking pumpkins, but not everybody, you know, cooks with pumpkins. So we'd had to throw together, Um, some recipes in multiple languages, and say, hey, could you hand this out? (laughs) When you're handing out these cooking pumpkins, you know, here's what people tell people not to carve them, that they're (laughs) supposed to eat them, and this is, this is, these are some sample recipes.
2: Hmm.
0: Great idea, and so for those who are not in the immediate D.C. area, or um maybe their area doesn't have a harvest share or a program similar to plant a row for the hungry or um, any of the those that have similar names. Um, What is your advice about either starting a program or finding one near them?
1: Well, there are are lots and lots of grow row, plant a row programs. If you, you know, Google that, see what pops up in your area. Um, If not, you know, go to the local churches with the food kitchens, see what they need. Um you, you know, you can create your own little um collection site amongst neighbors or you know a few, you know, people and you know aggregate the your harvest once a week during whatever your season is and take them over there. It doesn't have to be fancy. Um Harvest Share is volunteer, um, people just pulling together, um, you know, to help, help their neighbors. So it doesn't really take, um, you know, it doesn't really take a lot or talk to the soup kitchens. What can I do for you? What can you use? You know, fresh, um, you have room for those onions that everybody wants, you know, um that I think that 's how i'd get started and actually I'd, I'd you know be willing to to talk to anybody who um who wanted to get uh started i you you had mentioned the article in June of um twenty twenty you know, I just really didn't even have a plan. <laughs> I just had an idea back then, and I thought it was actually one of my uh one of my Kids had been college, you know, program had been canceled and was living at home. And she was like, Mom, you should just do it. You know, what do you have to lose? And I thought, Yeah, you're right. What do I have to lose? I've always um, been interested in um, hunger related issues. Really, uh, I'm a, a nurse practitioner, adult nurse practitioner um, by education, and um, know how important it is for people to have access to that healthy, nutritious food, how it affects all aspects of our lives. Um, so, you know, happy to, uh, to talk, really talk to anybody and help them get started.
0: Hmm. Thank you so much for offering that cat. I think that's so generous and so inspirational as well as, you know, your daughter saying, just do it, you know, what do you have to lose? And yeah, if you have the the time and resources and maybe just a few contacts, you can get that started and i was thinking of one small way that i've seen people do it during covid cat and that is uh, maybe you're familiar with those little free libraries that have sprouted Mm -hmm. out and you know basically looks like a little box on a stilt um, where people leave books and take books and some of those during covid were converted to little free pantries Um, so most of them had um, non-perishable goods that i saw they would have like you know the canned vegetables or a rice packet or something, but nothing is stopping you from, you know, doing some fresh produce, a couple of bags of tomatoes or something as well in those.
1: Well actually I, I there was um and most most of the time I, I found it was students that were kind of manning these with adult supervision um who really were a little bit leery of getting into fresh produce. Uh, and maybe I maybe I was just playing the devil's advocate a little bit to say, you know, how often do you check your boxes, or you know, to make sure, um, you know, because you can't really leave tomatoes out, you know, in a little pantry like that. But there are some really really successful mm-hmm. pantry type, um, you know, programs really all around the country. I mean, I think it was I think New, New York started some. They have some huge pantries um, that I think started with, uh, restaurants kind of boxing up, um, food at the end of the, at the end of the night or extra meals. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly, uh, some squash would stay out there for a while <laughs> without, uh, without issue. Um, mm-hmm. but you just do have to make sure somebody's monitoring them, you know, the, the heat of at least, our summers
0: oh yeah for sure yeah you definitely have to be checking it almost daily and i had done um some seed drops some seed pack drops during covid at various little free libraries throughout the dc area um, with the permission of that little free library owner Um, so we never wanted to drop seeds if it was uh, somebody who just wanted books only (laughs) <laughs> um, into that but we could say you know if you want free seeds to grow this season they're at such and such a box and and that was the year we couldn't hold our seed exchanges in person um so we were at least able to distribute that that way
1: huh that's a great a great idea um mm-hmm. we did well we one of the other things that Harvest share did uh, uh, has done the last um, two springs is a seedling share event. Um, and started out with covid and <laughs> with covid people would drop off extra seedlings that they had grown and then by a certain date and then you know the next weekend people, those who said you know hey I'd like to try to participate um would come back and you know shop for plants so we couldn't exactly have it as a swap because we were trying to make it you know contact free and social distancing and things too but the first year well, first and second year we both had about the same amount. We uh we had over nine hundred um seedlings to share. Which wow. is a whole lot
0: of plants. Oh yeah, that is uh, a lot.
1: <laughs> so and share those with the community gardeners and people that said, Hey, I wanna try and I'll try to grow enough to donate, you know, didn't make anybody sign on the dotted line because uh, you know, you, you can't uh, guarantee that you're going to have tomatoes just because you planted them. You know,
0: <laughs> exactly. Um,
1: so, but it was sort of a good faith effort, and we had uh, had seeds to to share as um, as well. And then the rest of the seedlings. Another thing that Harvest Share does that I haven't talked about is, um, you know, to try to really grow gardeners. And, and as as I said before, growing gardeners was a Master Gardener program, but they were shut down during COVID. Um, And we have found ways to repurpose containers, whether they be, you know, olive buckets or pickle buckets that we get from a deli um, or, you know, plastic produce crates that are just basically thrown in the recycling bin. And then give people the materials, the plants, the potting mix, the supports, the netting to keep out the critters um, to grow some of their own. You know, it's not going to keep a family from being hungry, but there is this empowerment, you know, that you get from being successful at growing something, whether it be, uh, you know, pepper, tomato, or some herbs, even if it's just on a, you know, balcony. Um, And getting the kids involved, we did some programs with kids and radishes, you know, they go nuts. It takes you know, three to four weeks at the most, and they're harvesting radishes that they, you know, they've watered and tended to themselves and um, now get to eat. So um, that's one of the other, the other things that we've, uh, we've kind of branched out to do as well.
0: That sounds terrific. Yeah. And when the kids have a little bit of success with something simple like radish, then they can be inspired to move up (laughs) on it to something, uh, you know, even more difficult or more fun, like um, watermelon even, or or some corn. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And so how can listeners get in contact with you to learn more about Harvest Share or perhaps to um, learn about starting a program near them?
1: Um, Well, the easiest way to reach me is probably uh, via our website. And the website is HarvestShareMD.com like for maryland.org Um and you can email me at info at harvestsharemd.org and it will tell you why it is harvestshare md and not harvest Share. Um because the harvest Share URL was available, but because we are a shoestring budget <laughs> operation I didn't want to pay the nine hundred dollars for the URL, so I chose to. <laughs> I chose the eleven dollar one, <laughs> so that's why we're Harvest Share MD. Um, mm-hmm. But I, uh, we can also find us on, um, you know, Facebook and Instagram, um, to see our our pic- pictures and our accomplishments. And again, that's Harvest Share MD.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Cat, for sharing this information, and because. We are in the Thanksgiving season. I thought we'd wrap up and maybe share some of our harvest traditions or things that we might be enjoying on the Thanksgiving harvest table. Is there something you're growing that you're going to be sharing on Thanksgiving? Hmm.
1: Well, unless I can find a way to use those last hot peppers... There's no squash left, um, but I uh, I did I just pulled my last uh, pepper plant. This little tiny uh, Peruvian pepper called the ahi cherapita, and it it just about crushed me because it still had some flowers on the plant. So I don't know I might I might sneak that into my squash soup (laughs) because I'm always trying to put a little hide a little heat in my food. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, my my kids have known to say, Mom, did you put cayenne pepper in the vodka sauce? And I'd say, put a little too much. But it was good, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> well, it sounds delicious. Right. Thank you so much, Kat. Paperwhite Plant Profile Paperwhites, Narcissus paperaceus, is a white flowering daffodil relative that is hardy to zones 8 to 11. Forcing these bulbs into bloom is a great holiday season project for beginning gardeners and with children. These bulbs are of Mediterranean origin and come pre-chilled for you so that they are virtually ready to pop into bloom once you place them in water. They are generally inexpensive only around $1 to $2 each, so you can buy several and pot them up as gifts for everyone on your list. I like to place them individually in votive candle holders or heavy bottom rocks glasses, then line them up on windowsills, down the middle of a dining table, along a fireplace mantel, or singly next to the bathroom sink. You can also take a large glass bowl or tall vase and place several bulbs in together to make a small forest of paper whites. I have used fish bowls, teapots, and old watering cans. Really anything that is watertight can be used. So look around your home for inspiration. To anchor the bulbs in and prevent them from toppling over as they grow leggy, you can place the bulbs in a variety of decorative medium from aquarium pebbles to glass marbles. You can also use potting soil to plant them in. I like to use hydrating water beads that you can get from florist supply and craft sources. They come in many shades, but I tend to stick with the classic clear ones. Whatever media you use, keep the water level only up to about the bulb's bottom hip area so as not to rot it. If your home is as dry as mine is in the winter, you will need to top off the water every few days, so keep an eye on that. Once potted, place them in a sunny windowsill until the leaves emerge and a stalk with flower buds starts to form, usually about 10 days to two weeks then place them wherever you like to display them. After the flowers start to fade, pull the bulbs out of the water and pry off any marble, stones, glass that you want to reuse next year, then throw out the whole plant in your compost pile. In our mid-Atlantic U.S. area, they are not winter hardy, so there's no need to try and plant or save them for the next season. Warning, the scent of paper white blooms is a love-hate thing. I personally fall on the not my favorite smell end of things, so I keep paper whites in well ventilated rooms and out of any bedrooms. If you really cannot stand the scent, there are paper white varieties that are lighter in fragrance than the mass produced Ziva that you find everywhere. These include Inball and Galilee. Paper whites, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week well the freeze hit and I lost my coleus in all the containers I had it in still over at the community garden plot the dahlias celosia and zinnias are all toast and we pulled out the peppers and okra but we still have our cool season crops and my parsley seedlings are up this week and looking cheery and bright green In the local gardening world, a few events to look out for include the U.S. Botanic Gardens Seasons Greenings holiday displays. This year it runs from Thursday, November 24th through Monday, January 2nd, only closed on December 25th. As part of the festivities, G-Gage model trains will run from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. each day in the gated outdoor gardens and the conservatory will feature poinsettias, holiday decor, and DC landmarks made from plant materials. You can sign up for a Make and Take Kissing Ball class on Saturday, December 3rd at 11 a.m. at the Sandy Spring Museum in Sandy Spring, Maryland. And you can register for that at their website at Sandy Spring. And you can create the kissing ball using locally harvested boxwood, and during the workshop, you will learn the art of working with fresh greens to take home the perfect addition to your seasonal decor. Planning a bit ahead, Green Spring Gardens has announced their winter 2023 schedule, which includes the Washington Gardener Seed Exchange on Saturday, February 4th, and several classes, including a garden terrarium workshop on Saturday, February 11th, starting from scratch with seeds on Saturday, February 18th and into into tree and shrub pruning on Saturday, February 25th. Happy gardening!
1: area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org.
2: This is Marianne Wilburn of Garden Rant and MarianneWilburn.com and this is the last word on gardening in the mid-Atlantic winter. So the pumpkins are rotting on your front porch and you have a decision to make. Are you going to close up shop or are you going to keep the habits you've built over the season and work outside over the winter months? I'd like to build a case for you to remain a living part of your landscape during the winter months ahead, both for your health and the health of your garden. Now the winters are tough out here and that's a relative term. I say that uh, from the muddied perspective of an ex-Californian, but I'm also aware that it's not as bad as it could be. You could be ranching cattle in Alberta, as my father did many, many years ago. But I wouldn't be without this winter season as a gardener. Not only is there so much to experience, we're beautifully positioned to slow down and discover it. Our friends in warmer climates do not get that break. One season is only slightly altered from another, so they find themselves, for instance, knee-deep in strawberry season while Santa's in shorts uh, ring bells in front of drugstores, presumably wearing shorts. Even if you're not a gardener, you can feel that slowing of the season and the chance to sit back and regroup. And when you accept that time for what it is, there's a chance to discover. Some of my favorites, mosses, hundreds of them. Geological formations that are just bare and rugged on the hillsides and in the fields. The white-barked sycamores rising out of the forests that once completely covered them. And I could go on, but those discoveries are all personal and they're yours to make, depending on where you live and where you walk. They're different from the joys you'll experience during the other three seasons of the year, but that in itself is a source of happiness, unless, of course, you're determined to be miserable. But why be miserable when we are given a head start as gardeners? During the chaos of spring and the rave, non-ending it feels like, of summer, it it feels like you're running a race. By the time you've weeded, deadheaded, mulched, edged, fixed, etc., it's time to weed, deadhead, mulch, edge, etc. again. There's very little time to hit the big items, all that stuff that you wish you could do if you only had time. Well, winter gives us that time. There are some tasks you can't do, those that involve digging in frozen ground or top of mind. But other things such as brush and bramble and vine clearing are made infinitely easier if A, you aren't battling the relentless vigor of the season which undoes everything that you do and B, everybody's naked except for you. A job that might have taken you two hours can take 10 minutes when the foliage is gone and you can actually see what you're doing. And it keeps our bodies conditioned to physical labor. Spring is gorgeous, but it can also be grueling if you spent most of the winter avoiding anything other than a chair. Winter allows us to keep good habits and gardeners need good habits above most things. Lastly is the longing. Winter in the Mid-Atlantic builds anticipation better than Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And I use more current examples, but it's a hard Hollywood analogy to make these days since anticipation has sort of been replaced by a lot of participation about six minutes into a movie. But that aside, for those of us who still find the buildup as or more delicious than the consummation, the complications of winter are all part of that dance. How better can we appreciate the presence of something than by experiencing the pain of its absence and the anticipation of its return? By the end of the January-February gauntlet, our senses have been finely tuned to detect any shift in temperature, any warmish breeze, and greet it with disproportional joy. Whether you're a gardener or the anti-gardener, your spirits cannot fail to be lifted by what I think of as the yellow triad of the mid-Atlantic spring, which is forsythia, daffodils, and dandelions. That simple. To stand there on an early spring day with the sun at your back and the earth awakening in front of you is a sublime pleasure. It can only be entirely experienced in those parts of the world where the earth was fully asleep to begin with. Forests of sugar pine or palm don't make one yearn for the sight of color. When you're outside more than once every two weeks, you'll see it. You'll feel it coming more fully than you can from inside of your car or inside of your home. So gear up, put your shoulders back, and face the winter with excitement. It'll keep you fit mentally and physically and give your garden a head start on next year. This is Marianne Wolburn with The Last Word.